1: Uh, but the, the truth of the matter is, if God is on your side, there's really nothing that can come against you. And over and over again, we see the scripture proving that out. When Israel was in dire circumstances, when, when the odds were completely against them, and sometimes God even made those odds increasingly great against them so that he might be glorified, so that he might be shown strong on their behalf.
0: everyone to our Bible study on Truth in Christ Radio. Today, Pastor Rob begins a three-part series of the final two chapters of the book of Joshua. In the beginning of chapter 23, Joshua gives his farewell address to the children of Israel. He begins his address by giving glory to God. It would have been very easy for Joshua to focus on what he had done as a military leader, especially because it was so impressive. But like so many other warriors in the Bible who were godly men, Joshua was interested in glorifying God more than talking about himself. As born-again Christians, we should be more interested in glorifying Jesus Christ than talking about ourselves. Here's Pastor Rob with today's message.
1: Amen. Let's open up to the book of Joshua. We're going to finish the book of Joshua tonight. We're going to look at chapters 23 and 24. This has been a really wonderful book, and when I uh, come back from Israel in a couple of weeks, we will uh, start the book of Judges, so I hope you'll join us then. Looking forward to that book, even though it's uh, it, the, the news in the, in the book, it, it's like a roller coaster. And so we'll look at that. But tonight, Joshua chapter 23. You remember, uh, last week, we looked at uh, chapter 22, and this was after the Israelites had finally gotten into the land, and Joshua and the heads of the tribes of Israel and um, the Levites, they they were able to partition the land. And so every tribe got into their specific place in uh, in the land of Canaan. And if you remember, it was the the two and a half tribes, uh, Reuben and Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh, remember God had given them the land on the eastern side of the Jordan. And one of the stipulations for them to be in that and for God to uh, give them that land as his permissive will, he said, when your brothers go into, when they cross the Jordan, you must go with them and help them fight the battles so that they can get into their inheritance. And then once those victories have been obtained, then then you can go back to your Possessions, the land of your possession, and so that 's exactly what they did and If you remember last week we we looked into that and we also looked into the trouble those two and a half tribes got in as they were finishing and as they were leaving the land going uh, toward the Jordan to cross over the Jordan again, going eastward to go back to the land of their possession, they decided to build an altar, if you remember, right before they crossed over the Jordan. And that was something that they were not supposed to do because there was one place that God had chosen to place his name there where the tabernacle would be erected, where the, where the worship would take place, the sacrifices, the offerings. And that was to take place in Shiloh. Remember, in Joshua 18, they finally erected the tabernacle, and that's where the sacrifices would take place. And God said that specifically. They were to sacrifice no other place. It was one place. God would choose where that place was. He chose Shiloh. And we're going to see in about 500 years from, from this moment, we're going to see that God chose to bring it into Jerusalem. He brought it into Jerusalem under the hand of David. And the tabernacle was again reared up in Jerusalem. And then finally Solomon, after David's death, would build the, the temple, in which, and it would have a permanent place. The, the, the Ark of the Covenant. And so we looked at that, and we looked at uh, how they, uh, they almost went to war with one another uh, because the, um, the tribes on the west heard that the tribes on the east had set up this altar. And if you recall, the, the men on the east, they didn't erect this altar to actual do sacrifices on them. They put it there as a memorial. They put it there as a witness Uh, because they were going to be on the eastern side. And and it's kind of funny, isn't it? You can take a river. you know, Geographically, there's a river that separated these tribes. But isn't it so interesting that it it doesn't take much to divide people? And before long, they start viewing each other as us and them. It's very uh, natural, unfortunately, for us to do that. And certainly land geography uh, helps in that way. And I say help, not in really a good way because they had this dividing line between them, and, and those divisions aren't necessarily healthy. And so God was going to uh, challenge them, and, uh, and they again, they didn't erect this altar to do sacrifice, as we looked at that last week. So now, after this is all said and done, finally we get down to uh, after the tribes uh, finally cross over and everyone's satisfied, Joshua gives this farewell address as we look at it in chapter 23. So let's go ahead and get into it. And this was possibly delivered at Shiloh. This, that's the location where the, the, the um, altar or the, the tabernacle was set up. And so he goes on and he says, Now it came to pass a long time after the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies round about that Joshua was old, advanced in age, and I love the fact that it says this, you know, because isn't it somewhat touching to see all of God's leaders, you know, going back to Moses and now finally Joshua and Aaron. They all got to a certain age, and they were great men. They had their faults, as every person does. Is there anyone here without a fault? No one, right? We all have faults. And just with the giants of the faith that we think of, you know, Moses, and we think of Joshua, you know, their time here on earth is temporary. God uses them for a, a specific time. And then it's time to move on. And in and, and, and all of this, God is in control. He's in control. So it says Joshua was old and advanced in age. Verse 2, And Joshua called for all Israel, for their elders and for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers. And he said to them, I am old and advanced in age. Yeah, you are. He's over 100 years old at this point. He says, You have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he who has fought for you. And isn't it true that if God be for us, who can be against us? Right? And uh, that's a truth that is so important for us to realize because... Uh, today, a, a lot of times, the the adage "might makes right" is is the thing that people go by. You know, if you got enough money and enough armament, then we can get anything done. Uh, But the the truth of the matter is, if God is on your side, there's really nothing that can come against you. And over and over again, we see the scripture proving that out. When Israel was in dire circumstances, when, when the odds were completely against them, and sometimes God even made those odds increasingly great against them so that he might be glorified, so that he might be shown strong on their behalf. Gideon's army is one of them. They had a lot of people. God whittled that huge army of thousands down to 300 men. To get the job done. And it's amazing how God does that. He said, so, um, verse 4, he says, See, I have divided to you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from the Jordan with the nations that I have cut off as far as the great sea westward. And that great sea westward that he's referring to is what? The Mediterranean. That's right. That's right. And verse verse 5, And the Lord your God will expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight. And so you shall possess their land as the Lord your God promised you. Isn't that awesome, the promises of God? Turn with me to Exodus chapter 23 really quick. Exodus chapter 23, because God did promise them this land. Now this is redundant for us, but it's, it's, it's good for us to look at this again. The Lord God has promised you that you're going to go in and possess this land. And it's recorded for us in Exodus chapter 23, if you go there. And verses 27 through 31 really is the promise. It's the promise. And then we get into the exhortation for obedience, which really begins at verse 32. So if you want to circle verse 32 and circle verse 27 you'll see where it begins and ends. And so verse 27 of Exodus 23 reads this way. And God says, I will send my fear before you. Remember, this is many years before they would get into the promised land where they're at now. He says, I will send my fear before you, and I'll cause confusion among all the people to whom you come, and will make all your enemies turn their backs to you, and I will send hornets before you, which will drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, and the Hittite from before you. And I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. Notice how wonderful God is, even in the, even in the taking over the, of the land. He wants to make sure it's done in increments so that it's not too hard on the land and hard on the people. And, and that's just the way God is. He leads those gently with young, doesn't he? He's a good shepherd. That's what a good shepherd does. He doesn't drive the sheep and and make them frustrated and angry and and drive them right to the point of death. No, he's he's gentle with them. And just like we ought to be gentle with one another. But he says, little by little, verse 30, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. And I will set your bounds from the Red Sea to the sea, Philistia, and from the desert to the river. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand. Notice God's declaration. It's going to happen. It's a certainty. And I don't know about you, but I love that again about God, that he can speak as if things have already, that they've already happened. He can speak with such a surety, and I would encourage you to consider that. When he makes you a promise, it may not happen tomorrow. It may take a week. It may be a year before that promise comes to fruition. I know that he's made me promises long ago that I completely forgot about somewhat, and then he brought them to fruition. And he is able. I am not able. And neither are you. Right? We're not able for these things. Like Paul said, who's sufficient for these things? But when God speaks, you can count on it. He is going to do the work. And I will drive them up before you. Verse 32, and here is the exhortation to obedience. So there's the promise that we just read, but then the exhortation to obey. He says, you shall make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. And they shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. And doesn't that sound, I mean, if you want to circle or underline a verse, that's a significant one, because we're all fallible. And left to our own devices, we will always um, go cave into the flesh. And yet God has given us uh, his spirit that should guide us and do the right things, right? He says, you shall make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest... They make you sin against me, for if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. So there we have it. There we have the the exhortation to obedience and the reason for it. Did you ever find it interesting that, you know, some people would say, Wow, God sounds really insecure. You know, if you serve other gods, it's going to be a snare to you. You've got to serve me. And many would say, Oh, God, he sounds so pathetic. He sounds so insecure, like... If you don't love me, I'm going to be upset. But that's not the way it is. That's not the way it is. See, God knows. He is not insecure. He alone knows who he is. He has everything we need. And he knows this. And we need to remember that. He has everything. Everything you can possibly need is found in him alone. And let's not learn the hard way. Let's not learn the hard way but to be obedient. Verse 6, he goes, Therefore, be very courageous. He's saying this. Uh, Joshua is saying this to the people. And again, on his last day on earth, he's telling them this. Therefore, be very courageous to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the, to the left. Let me read to you. You can just write this verse down, or these verses. But if we went all the way back to the very beginning, of the book in Joshua chapter 1, we see a very similar thing happening when God was instructing Joshua, encouraging him to be bold and be very courageous and to not be fearful. And I think it's interesting that in the very beginning when God commissions and calls Joshua, that now at the end of his life, on the very last day of his life, he is now saying the same thing to the children of Israel. Be very courageous. Be very courageous. Isn't that what God spoke to him? Back in chapter 1. Let me read it to you. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... Remember, remember this is the very beginning of the book of Joshua. We're just going to look at the first nine verses. I want you to see how often God encourages him. It came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise. And go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Notice, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I will also be with you. And I will not leave you nor forsake you. And here it is. Verse 6. Underline this or, or, or just write it down. Be strong and have a good courage. Do you need to be encouraged to be strong and to have good courage? I think we do because we live in a time in history where things are waning and there, there are so many things against you, Christian brothers and sisters. There are so many things against you that are warring against your soul. And you may feel a deadness. You may feel like a lethargy. And I would encourage you, if you're in that place, to drop to your knees tonight and ask God to get you out of it because he wants to bless you. He wants you to live a fruitful life, a life where your eyes are open and your heart is wide open. We cannot succumb to lethargy. We must get our hearts fixed back on Christ again because our eyes are everywhere else. We're so scattered by so many things. So he says to Joshua, be strong and of a good courage, verse 6, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Verse 7 again, only be strong and very courageous. Boy, Lord, am I really that, uh, um, am I feeling pretty weak and, and kind of scared? I think Joshua was, because God doesn't waste words. Every word that he puts on the page for us is there by design. And so when God says to Joshua, don't be afraid, but be very courageous, there's a reason for it, because Joshua was afraid, and he was feeling very uncourageous, and he wasn't feeling strong. So God tells him, be strong and be courageous. And then down in verse 9, in that same uh, chapter 1, he says, have not I commanded you? Again, be strong and of a good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Isn't he Emmanuel? As he is with us today, he was with Joshua. He was with him. And verse 6 Be courageous. Be courageous. Keep to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from the right hand to the left. Notice the caution again. And verse 7 Unless you go among these nations. These the, uh, these who remain among you. Remember, they, they'd they fought the big battles, but they were still pockets of enemies that were still in the land. Uh, upon the inheritance, they were supposed to take care of those things. But the party lasted for a season, and then the laziness kind of set in. This is very natural for human beings. When we have a big victory, we tend to slack off, and we don't finish the job. Have you ever done like something like that, where... You, you You knew that you had something to complete, and you got you got really close, maybe closer than what people thought you thought you could go, and you start to revel in the victory of it, yet you haven't obtained the victory yet. <laughs> Does that resonate with anybody when you, when you think you're, you're you're almost there to something and you already start to see the victory lapse, and you start seeing the streamers come down before they've actually come down? It reminded me of a football game recently. I think it was the Super Bowl, actually. And uh, who was in the Super Bowl again? I forget. It was uh, Kansas City and and San Francisco. There was a point, if you remember, guys, in the game, Kansas City. Uh, I was rooting for Kansas City, and San Francisco was beating them really bad in the fourth quarter. And everything. I mean, it looked dismal. It looked like there was no possible way. And the other team, San Francisco. Sorry if you're a San Francisco fan, but. They were starting to revel in it. You could see the, the, the sigh of relief. You, know, you could see them slapping hands and all that stuff. And so they, they kind of knew they had it in the bag. And then all of a sudden, it turned the whole game around, and the other team came and just walloped them in the end. And see, the Lord is, is, is very interested in us not just going halfway See, San Francisco, and I use this as, a, as an illustration, because they got lazy when they got right to the end, and the other team perceived that, and they took advantage of them. And, and see, but we have to fight and continue until it is done. So I want to encourage you to keep going. And why? Because lest you go among these nations, those who remain among you, notice, they still remain among you. Why is that? Because you haven't done the job. You haven't finished the job. You got into the fourth quarter, and you already started to celebrate. And now you're, you're getting walloped. You're getting walloped. You shall not make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them, nor bow down to them. But you shall hold fast to the Lord your God, as you have done to this day. And it's interesting, because as we look at verses 7 and 8, I put a star by those. Because Joshua was really prophetic in, in speaking this way, because that's exactly what would befall them in later years. That's exactly what would bring them into captivity by the Assyrians in 722 and certainly by the Babylonians for the southern two tribes in in 606 B.C. Same thing would happen, and this is prophetic. In fact, uh, look with me. Just turn the page and go to Joshua chapter 24, verses 31. This is a really interesting verse. It says, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, which we'll get to this who had known all the works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. And they served him all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. But notice, once they die, now the kids start to play again. They get, to the, they get close to the finish line, and they decide, you know what? It's, they, they, they've already had kind of victory. They've already tasted it a little bit, and they've gotten lazy. They haven't finished the job. And then in Judges chapter 2, Verses 1 through 11, if there's two verses or two sections of Scripture I would have you look at, it's these two. Because in Judges chapter 2, it reads for us this. It says, Then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim. And we're going to uh, get to this in a, uh, probably about a month from now. We'll, get it. we'll be in Judges in this area of Scripture. And again, this is uh, after uh, the book we're reading now. Then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I led you from Egypt and brought you to the land which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Can you imagine an angel of the Lord? We believe this might have been a pre-incarnate visitation of Jesus even, really getting on their case. Why have you done this? And this is a pretty stern rebuke. Therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side, and their God shall be a snare to you. And so it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voices, and they wept. They wept. And this is evidently a, um, a godly sorrow. Do you know the difference between godly sorrow and earthly sorrow? 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 tells us, Paul tells us, For godly sorrow produces repentance. Godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Worldly sorrow is sorrow because it got caught. Have you ever seen somebody when they get caught? They're crying because of the consequences that are coming. They're not crying because they really felt bad about what they did. Because if they felt bad about what they did, they would have repented of it. But repentance is the proof of godly sorrow, of godly sorrow. So going on here in Judges chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Then they called the name of that place, Bochim, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. And when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went each to his own inheritance to possess the land. And here's the verse in verse 7 of Judges 2. Notice this. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel,